You're listening to A Quality Podcast with your hosts, John Thacker Jr. and Jake Hill. I've had this conversation in 3PL quite a bit, actually, where like CI is legitimately a sales and marketing like channel, right? It is not a, I'm going to get an ops and actually improve anything. It's the promise of sales. And like, let's all take away our own like pre-described behaviors on how we feel about that and just accept that that's the world you're a part of. And that's okay, right? If my job is not actually to do X, Y, Z, and it is to do ABC, that's totally fine. Just come to terms with that and do more of the thing that you're actually there to do. Quality Podcast. I'm your host, John Thacker. With me today is co-host Jake Harrell. And we are here today to talk to you about how to rev up your business by taking action. So at Zoom Operational Excellence, uh, one of our slogans is win right now and in the future. Uh, Both are very important. Now, the win in the future part, that's strategic, detailed, uh, very relative to your individual case. That's what we offer consulting services for, but the one right now, there's a bunch of stuff that you can do today to improve your business and to get better and to win. And that's what Jake and I are going to do today is talk about some of those things you can do right now to rev up your business. So Jake, why don't you start with some of these foundational ideas of things that business leaders, especially new ones or internal consultants or external consultants, people in the CI world need to ask themselves and be thinking about? Well, if I was going to pick one, of course, you could start anywhere. And I've often argued this online with every, uh, frankly, asshole that's on LinkedIn, is to do this your way first, start anywhere and move that bad boy forward. But a general predecessor to keep in mind is what kind of organization are you a part of, right? If you're a bunch of guys that are going to jump action and just do it right now, like if it was me and you talking as an example, we would just have the thing done like today, right? Right, Whereas that's not how every company operates and coming to terms with some variation and exactly the environment you're in will make your way forward a lot more successful. Right. So this is like a foundational uh, behavior, mindset, um, assessment that business leaders need to do. Uh, before jumping off on everything. That can be hard. You know, the entrepreneurial mindset is frequently one of rose-colored glasses and taking action, which is great when you're a startup. Uh, It starts to become less and less sustainable, right, as the business grows. Um, But I think there's probably four things that need to be addressed. Like, you've got to come to terms with first, and it's just laying the foundation, right? In order to move forward with some of these other actions that you can take right now, you have to know the rules of the game. Fair? Fair. So the four that I've got is the business model of the company, right? Like what's their business model? How do they make money? How do they generate sales? How do they fulfill those sales? What are their spoken and unspoken obligations to stakeholders and customers? Um, And then tied to that is accounting, right? So you just can't out improve your accounting system. Um, This is where 
some of what you and I do with Zoom is a little different from our peers is the strong business background. Uh, we understand that businesses are run according to their books and their accounting model. And if you don't come to terms with that, you can go down a street that sounds great, like a lean implementation, and not realize that the entire paradigm for keeping the books has to change. Right? Uh, cost accounting is pretty classic throughout the business world. And then the other two are also connected, right? So you, ha you have the business model, you need to understand that, and the accounting that supports that business model. And then the other two are culture and behaviors, right? So the culture is kind of the collection of what we do say and believe in the organization, but it has an emotional flavor. It's very hard to sort of objectively put out there, like in a formal definition. Um, but you know, when you walk into a company, you can feel the energy that's in the operation or in corporate. Sometimes you can feel a difference. You'll go to like a corporate HQ, be like, man, this is electric. These guys are excited, whatever. And then you go to where the work is done and everybody's just beat down and they're, they're you know, hanging their head and everything else. And that's a, a really kind of serious symptom of a deep-seated issue, right? Um, and then behaviors, this focuses on what do people do in the organization in order to execute the business model, right? Yeah, and so, even in e-commerce and in line environments, what do they physically do? Right. Um, what do your leaders do? You know, one of the questions that, I don't know why, I always get blank stares on this one, right? Or, oh my goodness, I've never thought of that, right? Just the simple question that I ask business leaders is how do your leaders create value? We'll look at every position, frontline leaders, middle management, whatever. How do they create value? Yep, that's always a... And you either get a blank stare or you get an answer that doesn't really mean anything. Like they roll up their sleeves and get it done. Right, right. Yeah. That, it, some of these uh, platitudes, right? And, but it ties back into the business model and accounting side because some companies believe that sales creates value, right? You have that dollar figure locked in, right? And then everything else is a cost, right? Um, I think the, the lean perspective is that sales creates the promise of value and then operations actually creates the value, right? It's a subtle but meaningful distinction. And so when you ask how do leaders create value, there are many, many business leaders that I've talked to and their response is, well, they don't create value. They're, they're not there to create value, right? They're there to make sure that we get done what sales said we would get done. Sales is the one that creates the value, right? So we could quibble over you know, words, perspectives, paradigms, et cetera, but answering that question is really important, right? How are they additive to the business? Um, so the behaviors and expectations, I suppose, of everybody, but including the leaders. So you put together a, I guess, a four square box, right? Mm-hmm. So let's see if we can whiteboard this. Okay, nobody laugh at my lack of drawing skills. All right, can you see my whiteboard? I can see your whiteboard. All right, so you've got like this uh, four box. And over here, right, this vector is action versus inaction, right? So you got 
action. And then inaction. How do you spell inaction? <laughs> action with our, an I-N. For all of our audio listeners out there, we uh, are... Uh, the con- the consultant. <laughs> not the consulting work we do is spell. not in spelling. It's not, it's <laughs> yeah, not in exactly. grammar. And then uh, this other vector, let me go ahead and uh, draw this arrow. Oh, you can even select an arrow. Sweet. I like that even better. Okay, so on this vector, what you have is uh, sustains change and doesn't sustain change. So here I'm going to put no sustain. And then over here, I'm going to put sustain. Okay, so this kind of creates four areas in general that describe a business's approach to change, right? Which operational excellence, lean, continuous improvement, all of this falls under that big umbrella of change, right? So we'll start in this uh, terrible quadrant down here in the bottom left. The, the company tends not to take action. And when they do take action, they can't sustain right? If this is where your company is at, you're stuck, you have a culture issue. I definitely would not recommend, you know, starting any win right now projects, because you have to address that sort of deep seated cultural issue, right? You have to guarantee that you can uh, win in the future before you start in the present, you have to address that culture. issue. Now over here in the top left quadrant, you have companies that take action quickly, um, but they don't sustain it. Right, I call these the ADHD companies, and I've worked for a lot of these. You know, people feel good about taking action. Right? They take take a pride in, "Hey, we we're going to solve this problem." Right? They think but motion then, is progress. Yes. Uh, yeah, motion is progress. Right. But then a few months down the line, like, you know, they're they they haven't sustained the improvement. For these sorts of businesses, our recommendation is that you start with structure. Right? How can this company sustain action. They're, they're good at taking action, but they can't sustain it, right? That's where tiered accountability, um, specific meetings around like, do you have an LSW? Is somebody reviewing it? You know, all of this structure that typically goes into a lean operating system um, can help with that. Now, in the bottom right quadrant, you have companies that are slow to take action, um, but when they do, they sustain it, right? These are kind of your historical conservative companies, right? So if you're working with a company like that, you need to figure out where the company is in its portfolio of actions that it wants to take um, and figure out how you can persuade decision makers, right? That uh, your ideas should rise to the top. If, If I'm only gonna make one change a quarter or something like that, what's the best one, right? And so there's a lot, a lot of, of a lot of quick wins I've experienced there. Just putting all their projects and portfolio of ideas into one place, like literally not even innovating anything. Just get all of the stuff they are currently doing together in one spot, and really get a feel for their pace as you right. deal with right. businesses in that lower right quadrant. And I think also, um, you know, sometimes that visibility allows companies to realize sort of how slow they are to take action and can empower them to take action more quickly. Because, you know, the reason they're slow at it is not so much that they want to be as they don't have enough knowledge to make 
a sound business decision. Um, and so by sort of getting everything together, now they can see, well, what is, you know, my top three ideas, for example, and why is it taking so long, right? And then your upper right quadrant, these are the companies that take action fairly rapidly and are able to sustain the change. These are superstar companies. If you're here, you want to find out what is your role in maintaining that. You don't need to be new and innovative and exciting when you're in that quadrant. You need to be able to support the mission that's already going on. And also you need to think about kind of avoiding burnout. Does that make sense? I, I'm definitely guilty of in my past working for people in the bottom left and then flipping gears to working for folks in the top right. And the first thing I want to do is come in and let's be innovative and let's come up with something that's going to move the needle and have to go, oh, oh, damn. Everybody's already doing all the things that are going to move this needle forward and sustaining yeah. it. Really, they just yeah. need me to be part of the do, right? Part of the regular discipline do that they already well have. So yeah, coming to terms with where you are on that, on those crosshairs is like definitely a fundamental starting point. Yeah. So this applies to business leaders. It applies to internal consultants, you know, CI leaders, stuff like that. Um, I think along the whole spectrum, really, this is a good idea if you're a frontline supervisor, figure some of this stuff out, at least how it applies to you, uh, because it'll help you be much more efficient and effective in your decision making. Also, it helps to reorient our thinking process, in my mind, around the external, right? So, you know, this is a little bit about me and my personal development, but also like what I've uh, experienced and observed with others, uh, particularly in the continuous improvement crowd. Um, I think sometimes we feel the need to like prove ourselves, right? and have good ideas and get things done and, and be a unique it. flower in the world <laughs> and be a unique and beautiful <laughs> snowflake. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's okay. It seems to be a normal part of human psychology. Right. Um, but it can create a lot of friction and I can't tell you how many times I've seen uh, internal CI programs that faltered because the individuals, right. That comprised that, um, were focused on themselves and what they thought instead of first coming to terms with, well, wait a minute, what business am I actually working for? And what's their business model? And, you know, how does this matter, you know, to the accounting and the business side? And then what's the existing culture and behavior so that I can actually make real lasting change? Yeah, I've had this conversation in 3PL quite a bit, actually, where like CI is legitimately a sales and marketing, like, channel, right? It is not a, I'm going to get an ops and actually improve anything. It's the promise of sales. And like, let's all take away our own like pre-described behaviors on how we feel about that. And just accept that that's the world you're a part of. And that's okay. Right. If my job is not actually to do X, Y, Z, and it is to do ABC, that's totally fine. Just come to terms with that and do more of the thing that you're actually there to do. Right. No, it's a good point. In, in my 3PL experience, first of all, the uh, behaviors in the operation are driven 100% by the contract. Right? I've worked you know, with companies where the contract uh, basically incentivized the 3PL to uh, overspend uh, or even play Monopoly money. You know? So I'm missing my operational cost targets over here, but I can demonstrate savings over here. And so we're all good. 
right? I mean, well, what is a contract other than a generally accepted assumption of behaviors, right? Like, what is it outside of that? It's a great question because a contract legally in, in modern, you know, legal uh, theory is a framework for social cooperation, right? So I think sometimes people think of contracts as, as uh, black and white, like you either hit this and get, or you get penalized type of approach. That doesn't even work anymore. You know, if it goes to arbitration or uh, before a judge, the question will ask is, how are you guys cooperating? Right? Because if you're not cooperating, the person that, you know, wants to take advantage of a blown contract is not going to get what they want. Um, and the person who, you know, maybe didn't meet their metrics or something in the contract, if they're not trying to cooperate, well, they're going to get hammered. Um, so that's the modern legal theory. So yes, absolutely. It's behaved, it's, it's centered on behaviors and kind of like motivations, you know, like, what are you trying to accomplish here? That matters, right? So if you're operating in good faith with a contractual partner and you don't get what you want, well, then your legal recourse is actually fairly limited um, or more limited, I should say, right? So yeah, contract drives the behavior and that contract is not always in alignment with whatever your CI strategy or what you say it is. And then that's one thing, you know, that I've experienced. The other is absolutely like ISO certification, um, having a CI silo or something within a business. Um, these are just sales and marketing techniques. It, it isn't, doesn't necessarily correlate with what they expect those people to do because that's driven at the site level by the contract, right? Um, so an example, uh, you know, from... Well, we'll just call this a theoretical example. How about that? Uh, you have a uh, continuous improvement group that is based on lean principles, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a contract that says, you know, you, you can't actually do this. Like you can't be lean. We are requiring you to overstaff by 20% just in case, right? Now, I'm not going to say this is a true story. But it could be a true story, right? It could be. It, it could, could be. be. <laughs> right. You might find traces of said story through my LinkedIn history at some point. <laughs> right. So dive in. Well, if you're in that whole mix, you just need to understand like that is the reality. That's the reality we're in, not some fantasy make-believe world that you read about in some, you know, industrial engineering book or you know some lean handbook, right? Uh, you don't work for Toyota, you work for whatever company, and this is what they value and this is what they do, right? I have a lot on LinkedIn about this, this pastry in the sky. Well, we should make everything go this direction. I'm like, that's not how the universe actually works. And do the people there give a shit about it? Focus on what they give a shit about. And then you can work in, you know, some flavorings of stuff you think are valuable once you've delivered on things that other people think are important. Yeah, I mean, let's be frank, unless you are the CEO or sit on the board of directors for a company, right? It's not your damn business. Like you need to stop trying to turn this into, you know, your your magical Shangri-La or whatever, right? And follow the leadership and direction of that company and find a way to make it better, right? Yeah, you know, don't even get me started on that conversation, but so many of my CI community group on LinkedIn are just like, 
they want to be the CEO. Like that's what it is. You need to fundamentally yeah. change everything from the top down. Like yeah. a newsflash, you're not. Second, yeah. if you were, you wouldn't need to be a lean consultant, internal or external, right? Yeah. You would be the CEO of the business, make your damn decisions and go. So sort of a fun dichotomy there. Well, I mean, I've had people tell me, you know, I went into like the CI world or consulting because I was tired of businesses not taking my advice. Like I've had people say that to me on several occasions, like this was their motivation for going into consulting or whatever. And, I, and I'm not here to judge that as a motivation, but just to point out, if you believe that, you know, you have the, the right and the capability to change the fundamental business model of a business, you better have an EO at the end of your name right? Uh, uh, the C something, CEO, COO. Mm -hmm. right? oh, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to draw some caution there because how much made up C sweet nonsense exists on LinkedIn today. I'm the CLO. I'm the CMO, the CNO. I am the chief me officer. Me, yes. me, me. me. <laughs> I'm the CEO of a one person company. That's just me writing resumes. <laughs> You know, like, come on, Brian Regan for stealing his bit, but uh, <clears throat> I gotta go back and watch that now. If you're not Brian Regan fans out in the world, you need to check that out. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the me monster, you gotta look that up. That reminds me of the time I was driving my moon buggy on the Sea of Tranquility, <laughs> yeah. So, but there's a lot of me monster in what we're talking about, right? And, and you know, for me personally, and for a lot of the folks I coach, the the biggest lever I can I I can say this honestly about my journey, and I don't want to project that on anybody else. But I was not successful until I developed emotional intelligence, where I could understand my own motivations and what I wanted, and basically realized, you know, how how selfish I was, uh, which I still am, but I'm aware of it. So, learning about the business is a way to change your mindset from. I'm an expert. Everybody should listen to me. And, you know, we're going to do this, this, and this to what's the needs of this actual company and how and why are they competing? Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of that, it goes back to the, the heartbeat the lean, right. Which really starts with the customer defines value. Like you don't have lean management without that fundamental concept. The customer defines the value. And if the customer is defining the value, like you can't operate lean to meet the value demand, guess what? Trying to shoehorn that into, you know, some model that you read in a book is foolish. Like, don't yeah, even it's go meanless. There. It's meaningless. It's counterintuitive. It's not productive. Yeah. Um, so if you can set your ego aside, right, focus on the actual business what's really going on and how can i actually help this business succeed and yeah there might be some opportunity there to steer the ship a little bit and influence uh, the board or the ceo depending on you know if you're a if you're consulting like we are it's a little bit different than if you're like a continuous improvement engineer that just got hired out of college you know a year ago right mm -hmm. um they didn't ask you to come change the whole company. They may have asked us to come change the whole company, right? So it's, it's a little bit different, but um, okay. So 
that's like foundational. And I'm glad you brought that up, Jake. You know, we were kind of discussing how can I help business owners, business leaders, CI owners and leaders within companies? How can I help them win right now? How can they rev their business by taking action right now? You said, you know, there has to be that reflective portion, right? You just, you have to pause and ask some of these questions, right? Because if you don't know the lay of the land, you can't do anything else, fair? Or can't do it effectively. Fair. All right, so that's the first thing you can do right now is learn your business, right? Evaluate your business model, your accounting method, uh, the culture, the behaviors. What does the business want more of? What does it want less of? Where is your company in this four square of action versus inaction and not being able to sustain change and being able to sustain change, right? Yeah, and there's no right or wrong answer there. Just wherever you land is where you are, factually. Oh, yeah, it's a a great point, Jake, right? So before we go any farther, uh, we should probably say, like, you know, you kind of have to have a uh, engineering perspective on all of this, which is just what's the fact? That's the rules of the game for you, for you to operate in and be successful. If you're wasting your emotional energy judging like good or bad out of this, uh, you're, you're not gonna be very effective. And I've seen it hold people back where they can't help a group get better because they're so busy judging that group, right? Like y'all are just off base, you should be doing it this way. Well, you know, nothing personal, but if you were so damn good at running the business, you'd probably be in that role. Right. Right. I'm just saying. We're not there, but somewhere else, right? <laughs> yeah. On a different track. Um, okay. So we got some of that foundational stuff out of the way, some of that self knowledge and knowledge of the external world you're trying to influence. Right. Um, so, what's something that I can do right now to rev up my business? And I'm going to go out here and say procedure mapping. I think this is probably the number one thing that any company can do right now that yields huge benefits. Um, But before I dive in, right, I want to differentiate between business operating processes, right, standard operating procedure, and then standard work instruction. Okay. Uh, Just for uh, folks to understand what we're saying, because there's a lot of uh, different words and acronyms and stuff out there. So a business operating process is the steps that the business takes to basically convert inputs to outputs that are valued by the customer, okay? So it's fairly high level. Um, The next level though, the standard operating procedure, that is the approved how or the approved method for executing the process. Does that make sense? So process is we're going to take whatever milk out of a cow and we're going to pasteurize it and we're going to bottle it and we're going to put it on a truck and we're going to ship it to a distribution center. Now the standard operating procedure is the approved method for doing that. So for example, you know, milking the cow, we're going to use these specific milking machines and there's a cleaning protocol. Yeah. We're going to wear gloves, PPE, all of that stuff. Um, You know, as opposed to, I don't know, Farmer Joe out there on his stool, you know, man, this is hard work. You don't need to pay attention to your to your employees yet. We're going to conduct a visual check and make sure the cows are female. Yeah, yeah. All of that stuff. So and then the standard work instructions is the detail for my job. 
we're, when we talk about procedure mapping, we are not talking about so high level that it's just cow truck with three steps in the middle. But we're also not talking about standard work instructions that tells me as the milk operator each step to take to execute my job correctly, right? The standard operating procedure is that middle layer that sort of breaks the BOP down, but doesn't get into the realm of, you know, in 13 seconds, you should have taken four steps and turned left, you know, or, or, or whatever, uh, if you're using the Maynard operating system or, or whatever. You know. Yeah, my, so, goal, my goal is to see this business have a general flow of materials or service or process from beginning to end on one sheet of paper. That is the, the ideal state if I could accomplish that. Yeah, so flow of, can you see that in the camera? Flow of material and information, step one, step two, step three, step four. If the material and information is not flowing, it doesn't need to be in your procedure mapping, right? There are some things that um, are gonna be outlined in a standard work instruction that don't have to go into the procedure. So you might have in the procedure, um, acquire and don your PPE, right? Where the standard work instruction might have some pretty detailed instructions about how to do that, right? Okay, so that's the uh, foundation for what we mean when we talk about procedure mapping. Uh, let's talk about what it is and how it can benefit you. All righty, ladies and gentlemen. So we're jumping in. Procedure mapping, as you called it, John? Procedure mapping? Yeah, procedure mapping. Never heard it called that way, but I'll take it. I will take it for breakfast. But, you know, down in Texas, we get a dumb, unique Southern twang word for everything. We just call it knowing what you do on paper. <laughs> <laughs> and the purpose behind it is to one, gain clarity around how you actually create value or what we call the VCP for those of you that love acronyms, the value creation process. And that's step-by-step step from beginning to the end, not similar to value stream. I'm not, I'm not talking about the value stream as it's way too technical, has way too many connections and visuals on one piece of paper that quite frankly, have never really done anything for me to move that ball forward. But this is just pick material or information depending on your business model. And here's where it starts. Here's where it ends. Here's all the little stopping points, right? Mm -hmm. Between here to there. We challenge each other's assumptions. Uh, and then we bring together what is, you know, one piece of paper, how we create value as a business. And once we have that, you'd be very, very incredibly surprised at what people did and did not know they can just immediately see when presented in that fashion. Mm -hmm. That's why we do it. Yeah, so that's the why right there. So something you can do right now to win right now is map your procedure. And, you know, some of you probably took a half step back and said, well, why, why do I need to do that? What, how is that going to benefit the business? How can that help me win? Well, you map your procedure primarily to gain knowledge and understanding similar to the first thing we talked about, which was understanding and evaluating your business model. So here's some of the questions we should be answering and asking and answering during our process uh, procedure mapping um, is what do we do to create value, right? Notice I didn't say, how do we create value? Because in the example I gave, someone would say, well, we, we milk cows and we sell it to supermarkets. That's how we create value. No, no, no. 
what do we do, right? What actually happens in the real world to get from here to here? So anytime there's a flow of material or information, I want to track that. Now, I usually use the swim lane mapping tool for this because I want to see who is responsible or what role is responsible uh, for each step. Uh, that helps me to understand like overburden, right? For a particular person, or maybe it's a department or something like that. I end up overlaying it with some transparency paper like 50 times where I'll go mm -hmm. back through our steps and say, here's the head count within each step whenever that where that's applicable. Or here's the time between each step. Mm -hmm. or here's the cost of each step. And I keep all of them just layered on top of each other as it like just multiplies how your information interacts with each other. Yeah. Nice clear cut view on what we do to create value. Yeah, and I, I will usually print this out on sheets of 11 by 17 and laminate it uh, and hang it up on a wall somewhere that, so I can use dry erase on it. So anytime I'm doing any project going forward, I can write right on that map what I'm doing, where, when, that sort of thing. So I've done time studies, right, and written that on there with dry erase. I've done headcount studies, like you mentioned, um, ratios. I've seen, I've seen it used uh, between us as a failure mode mapping as well. You create a nice Absolutely. heat map of what step yep. is constantly giving you hurt. Yep. Yeah. So the the physical map itself could be a fantastic uh, tool to help you. But another question that we're asking is, uh, what are the signals to do work? Right. So imagine that you have somebody whose job is to milk the cows. Right. So they're hooking them up to these milking machines. His signal to do work is it's morning. The rooster crowed. I'm sticking the, the hoses on the cows. That's fair. That works. Right. So then all of that milk goes into a machine that pasteurizes it or whatever. And there's somebody whose job is to basically push a button and get that pasteurized milk into bottles. But the machine doesn't make any noise. You don't know when it starts or stops. It never alerts you. How does he know when to push the button? Well, that's the signal to do work. And every step in that procedure that you mapped has got some antecedent, should have an antecedent signal to do work, right? And, but you know, doing this exercise together, we found instances where it didn't exist. Somebody was expected to magically, intuitively know that something needed to get done, right? Periodically check for this critical time-sensitive task. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and then uh, another question that we should be asking and answering is where are the bottlenecks? Where are the opportunities for improvement? Uh, these will start to, these will stick out like a sore thumb when you're kind of going through this process. Um, as you map your procedure, you'll just see, wait a minute, I spend time with this person or department doing this step in the process and they're really, you know, it, 10% value added work, right? The rest of it is kind of not value added. And then you get to the next step and this person is running around like a chicken with their head cut off, all frazzled, can't keep up. Okay, I, there's overburden there, right? It's mismatch, it's unevenness. It's probably all of the above. Um, so those are some questions we wanna kind of ask and answer while we're procedure mapping, right? What do we actually do to create value? What are the signals to do work, right? Making sure they exist, they're clear, unambiguous, all of that. And then where are the bottlenecks or where are the opportunities for improvement? Um, you'll get to see Muda, Murrah, and Murray as you're observing this process and mapping it. So uh, waste, 
unevenness and overburden. I hate right? that you said it in Japanese first. I know. <laughs> I, it's just it's just how I learned, you know. Um, but you're absolutely right. Need to take my own medicine there. Um, sorry for the non-English for all of you. I mean, I'm there might be somebody Japanese that watches our YouTube channel. I'd like to think there is. Uh, there's not. <laughs> no, <laughs> Let's be real for a second. <laughs> none of our seven followers are from Japan. <laughs> My sensei watches um, this. So procedure mapping. This is something you can do right now. And the benefits, the primary benefit is you will actually understand what you do, what your team is doing every day to create real business value. Um, you can print the map out, which I highly recommend laminate it so that you can write on it and use it for all kinds of processes. Like we said, some, some really quick ones. One is a heat map for failure mode. You have a failure mode. You just mark, this is the step that, that, uh, instigated or experienced that failure mode. Right. And after a while you can begin to see, okay, there's a problem with where the, how the process is written in this step. Right. Um, another thing you can do is uh, track step times, right? And figure out, can I run processes in parallel to each other? Like right now the procedure goes like this, but can I do these two steps at the same time? They'll have to be in different buckets. Different people have to do them if we're going to do them at the same time. So rearranging your process. All of these are ways that you can use the map to make change kind of right now. Um, so how to win right now and in the future? Something you can do right now is map out your procedure, answer the what do we actually do, what are the signals to do work, where are the bottlenecks or opportunities for improvement, um, and use that map to drive your uh, CI and understand how you're affecting the big picture. Now, John, if I wanted to, if I wanted to learn more about something like that, where might I go? Oh, is this the, I missed the shameless plug thing. Mm -hmm. Is that, uh, yeah. So of course, uh, if you guys are watching this, you know that Jake and I consult with Zoom Operational Excellence. There is a link down below. Feel free to click and click on the contact us page, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we would be happy to work with you and walk you through uh, how you can do this. Speaking of, uh, why don't we just vertically stack this uh, self-promotion. So Another thing that you can do right now is cycle time reduction. And we happen to sell a product called the Cycle Time Reduction Facilitators Toolkit. Wow. <laughs> um, and we, we put this together because this is, uh, has been hugely beneficial for us in improving operations uh, quickly. This is a, you can do it right now. You don't need to be a lean company. You don't have to have a CI silo, none of that stuff you can reduce your cycle time right now. And of course the product that we put together includes an instruction manual as well as a link to, I think it's like seven tools that you'll use um, and two hours worth of videos uh, helping to explain. So we wanted to make it comprehensive out of the box. Um, of course, you're welcome to call us as well. There's a phone number on the website um, if you wanna reach out and get some, some help with that. But what do we mean when we talk about uh, cycle time reduction, why and how can you do it right now and how does it benefit you? Um, so, you know, I, I go back to the Taiichi Ono quote, you know, reducing the lead time is the holy grail, holy grail, right? He didn't say it quite like that, but that's what he was saying, right? Um, 
Well, if you run an operation, you can't reduce the demand to cash time. You just can't do that. You don't have the power to do that, right? So if your business has net 90 terms with a customer, doesn't matter how fast you produce. You produced one today, you're only getting paid 90 days regardless. Fair? Somebody else in the org has to work on that 90-day thing. Um, but here's what you do control. If you run operations, you do control the cycle time. Right? Now, the cycle time is a component of the demand to cash lead time. Um, you can control the cycle time because that's sort of the definition of operations. You know, when you have that demand to basically when the order is fulfilled type of thing. Um, and reducing the cycle time might not improve how quickly you get paid, but what it can do is affect how much volume you can handle, right? So if you have a fixed capacity and you're at max capacity, then the only lever you have to pull at that point is velocity, right? So as you increase speed, which is, you know, one of the um, factors in a vector, then you can get more done uh, with the same amount of resources, including that time constraint. Um, so how does reducing cycle time benefit your business? Okay, so if you're in business at all, you already know this. I don't want to be you know, condescending or whatever, but you know, just, just quickly, you can get more work done in the same amount of time, which translates into potentially higher sales, right? Could also reduce overtime. Um, typically, in order to reduce cycle time, you're reducing complexity and improving predictability as well. So you have sort of these, you know, to reduce cycle time, I'm fixing this, but that also fixes some of these other things, right? Is that a Lacroix? This is a Lacroix. Uh, Barry. Lacroix, if you want to sponsor us, do reach out. Until then, your product tastes like shit. <laughs> I don't know what berry is. Like, what flavor is berry? I mean, you have to admit, there's a pretty big damn difference between a strawberry and a blueberry, right? This sound like this sound like a caveman hunter gatherer named it berry flavor. Berry. But you have to wonder, like, how come they aren't like strawberries and hayberries or blueberries and red berries? You know, I kind of feel like the world would be better if we just named them after colors. You know, blackberry, blueberry, redberry. I mean, grapes could be like greenberry, you know. But then if everything was named after colors, you would never stray away from blue stuff. Isn't that what we learned in childhood? Like the blue stuff that just tastes better? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the blue slushy at the uh, theater, you know, mm -hmm. definitely. Got to pick that over the red every time. Um, okay, so cycle time reduction. Um, obviously, we have the facilitators toolkit to help people do this, but what are we doing? Uh, what are we talking about with cycle time reduction? Kind of how do you do it right now? So the first step in our product is actually what we just talked about, the procedure mapping. That's, you have to do it first. You just have to, you have to know where all the steps are. So that's in the kit. It has the tools used to measure and document and all that swim lane map, the, uh, the time study, all of that stuff is in the product. You have to map the procedure, that's the first step. And then you look at each step and how can I improve it 1%? That's it. That's literally it. That's it. And then you sustain it, 
and you go back through and pick the next one and you sustain it. And of course, it's a, uh, a project that involves everybody. And of course, we go into more detail in the facilitator's workbook for that one. But reducing the cycle time is just, I'm going to uh, use an example here. I drop 40 orders into the system. It used to take me 10 hours to get them done. Now it takes me eight hours. So in theory, I can drop a few more orders in. Um, okay, so who does this benefit? Uh, this is going to be my recommendation for all of our listeners out there. If you operate a warehouse, an order fulfillment center, or something similar in the supply chain space, you have to do this one. This is a huge lever in warehousing spaces. So uh, we talk a lot about lean and we get questioned a lot about lean and sometimes you even have flavor of the month lean, like, hey, I wanna, wanna let's look at this Lean Six Sigma thing or whatever. Um, but when I talk to people in warehousing and supply chain, sometimes, not all the time, but frequently enough to mention, you have this, well, we're not manufacturing, we can't do lean. Well, okay, um, you know, I, I actually see where you're coming from with that, right? It's an industrial engineering theory coupled to a management theory. That's what separates uh, lean from the pack, right? It includes both leadership philosophy and sort of that hard math of industrial engineering, uh, which is why it does better than either one by itself. Um, so I see where you're coming from. Okay, but here's something you can do as a warehouse right now. You're a GM, you can do this. An ops manager, you could probably do this. You can reduce your cycle time. Uh, the benefits from that, including a reduction in labor costs, uh, the ability to absorb more variance in demand. So you probably don't control like how many orders you have to fulfill or something like that. Um, these are all huge benefits that come from reducing your cycle time uh, within your operation. And it's standalone. You don't have to be a lean organization. You don't have to have, you know, non-throughput accounting or uh, something similar to support this. Um, you can do this regardless of the business model, regardless of how the accounting is done. Um, you do still have to assess like the culture and behaviors. Um, you might not be able to get it done uh, for factors that are outside your control. Um, like your boss is a total asshole or something like that. Uh, <laughs> no shortage of those out there. Yeah, no one's ever experienced that before. Um, but you don't have to be lean. You don't have to have an engineer or be a CI company or a lean company to reduce your cycle time. So that's something that you can assess and improve right now that has real business results, right? Real financial bottom line results that anybody could do. And my advice is, I don't care if you're a small company or a medium or big sized company, uh, if you are moving physical goods, absolutely do this. Warehouses especially uh, can see just significant benefits and cost savings from reducing their, uh, reducing their cycle. Time. So how can you win right now uh, and in the future? Of course, in the future is in the future. Um, it takes quite a bit of uh, careful thought and planning. It's highly dependent on your situation. But there are some things you can do to rev up your business right now. Um, and we covered three of them here. The first is just the taking the time to think through the real world you live in. What is your actual business? What's the business model? How is the accounting done? What's the culture? Uh, what are the behaviors? That sort of thing. 
that can provide you great context for being successful quickly, as well as the four box of action inaction on one vector and sustains, doesn't sustain change on the other vector. Uh, kind of where do you land in that uh, quadrant? The second thing we talked about was procedure mapping, a huge tool to help you understand what is actually going on in your business. And it is a predicate to many other actions that you can take to improve the business. And it's primarily about knowledge. Um, it, it helps you to understand what do we actually do to create value? What are the signals to do work? Uh, where are the bottlenecks? Where are the opportunities for improvement? And then the last thing we talked about is cycle time reduction. Um, cycle time reduction is something anybody can do, whether you're a lean company or not. And it is the discipline of reducing the time it takes from when the demand drops in to when it's fulfilled. And all three of these build on each other, right? So if you kind of don't hit up that first one, um, you're going to struggle with anything that you try in the organization. You're probably going to learn uh, like how to answer all of those questions as you fail, right? Um, not that I have any experience with that, but theoretically, um, that's, that's how that would go. Um, and then your procedure mapping, right? That's a predicate for cycle time reduction. So if you go to zoomopx.com right now, click on the products page and look at our cycle time reduction facilitators toolkit, um, you will see that procedure mapping is actually part of that uh, process. And in fact- now, now, John, something like that, saving companies tens of thousands of dollars, that's gotta be expensive. Yeah, so, so uh, uh, but wait, there's more. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, no, it's a, it, it's a great call out, right? Because every time that you and I have done this, we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars in labor savings annually. I mean, tens of thousands. Sometimes it's, it's a lot more than that, but that's just like the labor savings. And of course, it's, it accrues, right? It's net present value of an annuity. You keep saving it year over year. Um, but more importantly, it uh, opens the door to other significant improvements like increased sales, right? Um, so the total value of the project is usually in the millions. It just depends on the size, right? Um, we sell our facilitators toolkit for 99 bucks. That's it. Um, best money you can spend. We have in there everything that you need, all of the tools, like I said, pre-made. Um, for download about two hours of supporting video content. And on the website is our phone number. And in the book, QR code, just scan it or click it if you're uh, digital and it will take you to our contact us page so that we can answer questions. But you know, the reason we put that out there is uh, we just love seeing people win. And we know we can't consult with everybody. It might be just sheer volume, but it might be that you know, you don't have a position in a company that really lets you spend money on a consultant. Uh, that's okay. You can purchase the cycle time reduction facilitators toolkit for pocket change. And it has everything you need to reduce cycle time and really gain some traction as your company sees that success. And for a limited time, sharing your receipt number, John will mimic any animal of your choosing in a video message. No, no, we didn't say that, Jake. That's not in the script. I'm, I'm looking at it. <laughs> I will sing any rock song 
in opera. Oh, there you go. There, that I'll do. Well, there she you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Machine. She kept her motor clean. And if you want more of that, all you have to do is drop us a line and include your receipt number from your Psychopath Reduction Facilitator's Toolkit. Um, no MP3s, but we'll do it live. Maybe. <laughs> Once. <laughs> oh, that's got to be illegal. Um, so uh, that's where we're at now. Jake, we had a whole list of these, right? And we probably need a sequel and a sequel to a sequel and whatever. But we keep having these convos with business leaders who are like, what can I do right now? Right. I'm like, okay, you know, it's a, it's a valid question. Um, obviously my advice to an individual company is going to be different depending on where they're at right now in their business. Um, but we did come up with some that, Hey, this benefits everybody regardless. Right. And, so assessing your actual and coming to terms with your actual business and the real world right? to start there. Right. And then, man, if you haven't mapped out your procedure, like you don't really know the business that I can't like sugarcoat that one. I don't know of a politically correct way to say that. If you don't know that you don't actually know your business. Um, and then what do you do with that info? Well, one of the first things you can do is reduce your cycle time. There's the real dollar savings. So this is kind of like a one, two, three uh, plan for anybody that is a business leader or a CI leader, um, lead champion or whatever in a company. Hey, do these right now. You will see a, a real financial benefit and a real operation benefit. Uh, and, and then that might give you the leverage you need to have people start listening to you more. Does that make sense? Well said. Cool. All right. As always, we love hanging out with you guys and helping you guys. That's our mission to make the world a better place and to help you win right now and in the future. So thank you for joining a quality podcast to all of our friends out there. Goodbye. Toodles. Avatar is so hot. Uh.